This episode of The Ride is sponsored by Weaver. The Weaver Leather Pro Tack Collection is made with the highest quality Kerman Oak leather with an exceptional thickness and weighty feel, making the leather durable and weather resistant to stand up to the elements and demands of hard riding. Shop the Pro Tack Collection at ridethebrand.com. Jericho back with another episode of The Ride. I am here with my co-host Jillian and today we have Tim Kimura on the podcast. Tim is the man of trail. You have probably seen his name in our magazines, on social media. He does all the largest horse shows, trail patterns and um, Tim's actually been a big part of my life. I would do, I did clinics with you when I was like what 12 years old, 13 <laughs> years old, a very long time ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really awesome to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, for sure. I, I appreciate you girls letting me come on. Um, you know, it's pretty exciting to have a re- reverse role here, right? From, from the Keeping It Real show. And, and, um, I was excited you guys asked me for sure. Awesome. Well, let's kind of jump into it and kind of give our listeners a little backstory of who Tim is and, and how you became the man of trail. Where did it all begin? Where did your love of horses come from? Yeah, you know, to tell you the truth, you know, um, my dad, he really started the Saddle Club, which is actually the foundation of everything. It's called the Central Valley Saddle Club, founded in the year 1960, which is quite a long time ago. Um, Actually, that's the same year I was born, okay? And then he had the Saddle Club, they did parades, trail rides, and they put these baby horse shows on, these little schooling shows, we'd call them back in the day. And then in 65, he actually started putting on his first AQHA show, and then from 65 I think we did 49 years and then he passed away at the 49th year. And then we actually, at the 48th year, he passed away and we did one more year after, after he passed away. But, you know, that's a lot of years to do this two day horse show with the slate of classes, old school type of quarter horse show, do all the gamut, do the whole lineup and then do it again. Right. And um, so that was my roots. And then my dad, he really had a passion for this club. I mean, I hate to say it, but he loved it more than his family. I mean, he was so passionate. It was all about the Central Valley Saddle Club, uh, the awards, the the arena itself, um, making getting the food for the for the concession stand, and 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 he was getting the stalls ready, you know, because we had twenty permanents that he built, and then we we'd bring in forty or eighty uh, portable stalls because it was only a two day show, right? I mean, it was, but you know, the family had to like it or not be involved with that. And then every month we'd have a horse show, like a, a schooling show, and uh, mostly it was Western, Jim Cannon, and sometimes English and stuff like that. And that's how we grew up. And, and actually, that's where, you know, back in the day in, the, in those years, you know, in the 70s, trail was always the last class of the day. And that's just how it was. And we were the black sheep of the family. And and after the horse show's over, it's getting dark. Oh, my God, we got to set a trail course and we got to do trail after you did halter and you did pleasure or you did uh, equitation or horsemanship back then. And, and so back in the day, you know, you had to do it every horse show, every month we had to do it. So I basically learned how to do basic patterns, you know, from the book and all that kind of stuff. 
And back in the day, it was really, we called it station to station trail. You know, you'd do one obstacle, go to another station, cookie, cookie cutter type trail courses, I call them, you know, they're, they're just like a little box. Okay. Six obstacles was a thing. And, and the gate was the first and you had to have the bridge the back, the walkover. So it wasn't very hard to build it. It's just the manpower to do it in the last part of the day and you're tired anyways. Um, so that was assigned that job all the time. Okay. And then, and then eventually, you know, because I hate to say I was back a little lazy when I was youngster, right? I started learning to make it faster, right? How can, how can I beat the system and make this thing faster? So at the end of the day, we don't have to stay there for three hours at the end of the day and we can get done in two. So, you know, um, I don't know if it's creativeness or just laziness, but I learned how to get one person from A to B a lot faster. I learned to incorporate two or three obstacles together so you wouldn't have to go very far, you know? And then I was the guy that had to reset it too. So it's like, I learned how to do that anyways, to make it faster. Anyways, so that was like the basics of my trail course designing. But when I was young, I, I, I had a pony. I showed Jim Canna. I had a Mustang that ran barrels and poles with all the time. Um, my first horse was named, my first trail horse was named Destination Moon and uh, Bones was her, her nickname. And, and I borrowed from Richard Trake. Um, and then from there, I showed Bones for a long time. And then I got another horse called Mr. Hugs, and who I showed a lot. And I was very competitive with him. So Mr. Hugs, what a funny name. I, now that I know, now I'm older, I say, what kind of name was that, Mr. Hugs? <laughs> um, I said, Bones and Hugs. But then when I was like 12, 12, 13, I actually started riding stock horses, as we called them back then. And um, I got the opportunity when I was 13 years old to ride with Bobby Ingersoll. And I, I thought that was probably something in my career people don't know about. Showed cow horses for a long time, you know, from 13 to about 22. Um, I, had some, I had some really nice stock horses, cow horses, NRCHA horses. Um, I had Redwood Breeze, I had Plain Old Smoke, I had Cheese of Smoke. I had my fraternity horse, 49er Vandy. And then I got to show Oak Be Great was my like five of my really good horses and um i was pretty good i mean uh, you know that's probably where like some of my nicknames like kamikaze cowboy um uh, tokyo tex actually tokyo tex was one of my first nicknames i got from these guys right tokyo hey tokyo they'd always call me tokyo tex right it was i mean old cowboys greg ward bank control less vote um all those guys they hey tokyo that's how I got that nickname. Anyways, and then when I was kind of like suicidal going down the fence, then it became Kamikaze Cowboy, right? Okay. And then uh, eventually it got to be Sukiyaki Jockey. That's like the third name. So like when we do our show, it's the Tokyo Tex, the Kamikaze Cowboy, the Sukiyaki Jockey, the MOT, the Man of Trail, Tim Kamara. Um, but the, you know what? When you get like that, you just get several nicknames. Um, you know, when I was at Bobby's, I mean, I thought that was really interesting. Like I had... His assistants would always have to help me. Um, I had Gary Bomber, Gary Belafonte, Tim Stewart, Mike Swan, Ian Chisholm, um, just great horsemen. All five of those. It, like few of those guys were judging the World Show this year. I, I didn't get to be at the Cow Horse at then, but it's so funny the history that those guys were like my mentors when I was little. Um, Bankatron, Stan Fonson, Don Murphy, like they would help me too. Like when Bobby wasn't there, they would like all the trainers back then would like share their clients and say, help them while they're there. I thought that was interesting. Um, trail wise, uh, Patty Knudsen, Cynthia Candleberry, they were like my first two mentors to help me do the trail. I showed a lot with those two and, and fantastic ladies, great coaches. Um, they actually upped my game in the trail, meaning like they showed me things that we shouldn't be able to do 
so hard that they, that was the West Coast girls back in the day. Maggie McHugh was another one that helped me a lot. Uh, Linda Baker helped me a little bit. I mean, just household names back in the day. Those were fantastic ladies, um, really good friends, um, really appreciated what I learned from them or what you could teach trail horses that West Coast trail back in those early days, the 70s and the 80s. Um, then the next piece I would have to talk about is my friend Gary Van Heusen, who's from Sanger, California. And he was a, a cowboy, um, kind of a roper, good, you know, colt breaker, any type of horse he would break. We, I, I got a ride for him, and he would, like, keep my horse there for free. And and I got to ride Passos. I rode mules for him. Um, I rode Morgan horses. And, I mean, just a variety of horses besides his quarter horses. And, I mean, just another way of, you know, the horseman in me, you know, you, you got to be a bear horseman learning from the different animals. You know, the, the mules teach you a lot in a different way. The Morgans, the Passos taught you something. It, it was interesting. I mean, we had all sorts of kind of horses. You know, um, my other trail horse was uh, Mr. Navajo. He was an Appaloosa horse that my friend from college let me ride. And um, he was he was another one that was Iggy. His name was Iggy. And another one of my horses that taught me a lot. He was odd little duck, but, you know, good little trooper for a West Coast trail horse. Um my other part of the career, you know, I think it's at 25 is when I started judging, you know. Um, when I first came out, I, I got my ASHA card, and my first big show was the Junior Cow Palace in San Francisco. And, and back in the day, that that was the gig. That was the ultimate, not the ultimate, but it was for a young judge. You know, Alan Ross hires me. He says, I'm going to make you a star. Might, name, might not make you rich, but I'm going to make you a star, okay. But he, he needed me because I could trail course design and judge. Okay, that was the two for one pocket that, you know, he paid me a little bit more, but but still it was an asset to be that guy. And then when I had my cow horse card, which I did too, when I, I got to judge the senior cow palace in, in the in the fall, the same thing. I could draw courses, I can judge. You know, when you could do more than one job, you you were you were in good shape in, in the industry back then. Um in uh I'll just tell you about my cow horse stuff. You know, in ninety three, ninety four I worked for the NRCHA, I was there. I guess executive secretary, and I got to put on the last fraternity, not the, I think the last fraternity, the 25th anniversary fraternity in Fresno. I got to run that, and that was something that no one knows about, but I was just behind the scenes, but I was the manager of that thing, and it was, it taught me a lot, you know. Look at this, at 94, I do that, 95, I get, I call from Larry Myerskoff at Del Mar, and he asked me, do you want to work at the World Show? So that was, that was my ticket to, to get to AQHA. In 95, I, I'm allowed to go and do the first world show, you know? And then in 96, I did the first youth world show. That whole story is amazing. And I have to go back to the cow horse a little bit because I recently left the all around to do the cow horse. Yeah. And the the fact that you got to ride with literally the, the one of the, some of the most legendary cow horse guys, right. you know, who created, who founded what the NRCHA is today. That's, huge and i bet you took away so much from them that you probably apply in you know just trail design and you know the all-around world too you know i was very fortunate to li live at bobby's during the summers and stuff like that like during my college years and and him and sue and scott and and they would let they were it was like family they were like family okay it's amazing you know like the era i was in as a youngster and and the legends that just came across my my purview for sure
Oh my gosh, literally, like I would die to just be a fly on the wall and just observe right. how they rode and, and did what they did in their prime. And, and, you know, they created what the NRCHA is today. And that's, I mean, just how yeah. cool to be able to grow up like that. Yeah. I know, kind of, kind of weird stuff, right? You know? Yeah, I had no idea that your history was so all over the place, you know, not just trail. That's so interesting that, you know, you have been so involved in other parts of the industry. So through all of those experiences, did you have a horse that stood out to you the most or that was the most memorable to you that you learned the most from? It's definitely my sister's horse and I was playing Old Smoke, okay? Back in the day when he, you know, I got him from Don Dodge and you Don Dodge, you know, in that history, you know, I got to see Don Dodge when he's really old and he was in Arizona and he's getting on his stepping stand to get on his horse and he was riding like, I don't know if he was 80 or 90 years old, but you could tell he's pretty old, but he still remembered me. Oh yeah, I sold you that gun smoke horse, that one at Bobby's and stuff like that. But he was a fast turning horse and he was probably my fastest turning horse I ever had. I mean, we were turning pretty fast back in that day. You know, we did two and a half and one half. We didn't have to do four, but he was a good pony and he had lots of heart and, and, uh, yeah, that was probably the one that I always enjoyed because I always trusted him and stuff like that. I did, I did, I did some wrong a few times. I cho- I made some bad choices on a few classes, but but what a great horse he was. I mean, I'm curious because you do have so much experience with the cow horse. What made you kind of focus on the trail, and how did that become your niche? I think it's like that during that time where I was with Gary, you know, and stuff like that. We did a lot of NorCal horse shows, a lot of Pacific Coast horse shows, Bass on the West Coast where it was kind of raining trail. I mean, I could show my rainer and 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 still design the courses where the cower shows weren't intermixed in that. So you kind of had to choose. Um, you know, even back then, it's expensive to show your cowers, you know? Like if I had to go up to Bobby's or go wherever you want to go, just to have enough cattle, if you're not inside the loop, you, you, it's hard to practice. And it's one of those classes, if, it's just like raining. If you don't practice that thing, you, you're no good. <laughs> you're... I mean, you can't just hop on and get on and get up and go. It's not one of those type of classes anymore. It's tight. So. No, I was just going to say the same thing. I think we've just specialized it so much that now it's really, if you don't dedicate that time into that, you know, that sport, whether it's trail or cow horse or raining or whatever, you know, it's going to be hard to compete with the best. But I think one thing that I really did like about the cow horse with what you were kind of going off of is it's a very humbling sport. You can have the best horse in the, in the class, but that cow will do you dirty and, uh, You know, that's one thing that really attracted me to it. Um, but as you as you transitioned out of the cow horse and into the trail world, uh, I know you said that you did a couple of shows where you were judging and then also yeah. creating trail patterns. When did the trail patterns become so popular that that kind of became your main focus? Yeah, I, I think it's monetary, if anything. You know, like just showing cow horses doesn't pay very good unless you win, right? I just did the raining and drew courses and did some you know i tried i can go actually both ways a little bit i can show there in the afternoon and do the trail for them in the morning and that's kind of how they hired me back back then and stuff so back in the day michael and i we would drink a little bit and then we'd get the straws right and then we would make patterns on napkins and on the table and that's the folklore of of this story because we all talk about this all the time and and the other night at halloween this 2021 my friend Mark Schaefer came to town and him and I go to this bar that I really wanted to go to called the Vinyl Lounge in Denton, Texas. And him and I are drinking and um, just him and I and and strange people dressed up. It was a perfect place because we didn't have to talk shop. We were just kind of messing around. 
And pretty soon we had drank four or five drinks. So we had like eight or nine straws and Schaefer gives him a straw says, do your thing. I said, what are you talking about? They said you used to like do courses with straws. And, and it was funny to like take the straws again. And, and well, this is what I'm doing at the world show. Let me show you an obstacle I'm making. So I'd sit there and I'd put the straws on the table and da, 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 da. And, and oh, wow, that's pretty good. And it's, I mean, that's the Lord of the straw thing. Okay. Um, Straws, napkins, chopsticks, swizzle sticks. We did all. Anyways, that's my little story about that. So it was it was like a creative outlet for you, even from a very young age, to just kind of build courses and, yeah. and you know, whatever. So how did you go from, you know, creating courses out of straws to designing courses for the Congress and every yeah. world show and things like that? How did that yeah, evolve? Right, for sure. Um, you know. Back in those 90s, okay, the early 90s, before Myerskoff calls me up, and I'm still I'm still drawing some courses when I'm working for NRCHA and stuff like that. But, you know, from Cal Palace to Del Mar to Santa Barbara to Bakersfield to Fresno to Rancho Marietta, you know, those are like the, the pinnacle places. Orange County, Costa Mesa was the other one that we, we drew a lot. I mean, they had horse shows every month, you know, and so Larry Gimple, Pam Gimple, those are two at, at Costa Mesa that hired me a lot. Um, got good at it, you know, and, and I went home and I'd, I'd practice with Gary's kids and experiment over there. I'd have to do that monthly show at home and I would experiment there. You know, our corridor show once a year, that's why we called Central Valley Saddle Club the laboratory, because once a year, everyone near and far world champions would come just to play the game on, on my court and, and like see what I had in mind. Right. Cynthia loved it. Patty loved it. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of people from North and South would come to Fresno or Reedley to, to check it out, you know, and I, I, I accumulated a lot of polls. And so I can do kind of like my rules. Here's my, here's my story. One more story. Charlie Cole. How's my Charlie Cole story? Oh, Charles. Okay. He's working for Tim Whitney and he, maybe 17, 18 years old. He's kind of a young, youngster. And, and um, he comes to Reedley. And, and back in the day, you only used to have like six or eight obstacles, right? And so then to get around that, we make A, like 6A, 6B, 6C, and, and you can still get away with making a combination. And he comes up to my arena, comes up to my announcer booth, says, Mr. Kimura, sir, you, I don't think this course is legal. You can't like do that. I go, well, sir, I, I can appreciate that. But I've done it before. I've done a lot of other corridor shows, and I think you're just gonna have to deal with it today. And, and he was really kind. Of, he was really miffed that I told him that. Like, and, and ever since then, we've been like super big friends. I mean, we grew up together. Jason from over there too. Like, it, it, but Charlie and I always laugh about how we met. Like, are you calling me out on my home court like uh, that? I said, probably not gonna work today. Okay, like you better just do the course the way it's written. And he had great stock, so it's like he could he could do it. But anyways. That's how Charlie and I met. <laughs> so what were these obstacles that were, you know, just so different from what people were seeing that it was drawing people yeah. in to, to kind of play on yeah. your what was you know, What was so uh, unique? So it's it's good, you know, like we, we talk about, we call it city trail. In, in the year 2020 or 2021, we started naming this thing city trail because it's all about shifting gears high and low, steering left and right, parking our car versus our friend, the ranch trail, which is more authentic, more you know, like historical trail station to station, uh, show your horse kind of operating on a trail or a ranch and stuff like that. I needed ranch trail to, to show up. I needed ranch trail to be something because that took the pressure off city trail because all the, all the, 
homegrown people were miffed that my trail became agility trail, I call it. Where it's more agility, how many poles you can get over, how fast you can turn, or da 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 city trail. Okay. And now and now ranch trail, you know, and it's funny, you know, I draw a lot of ranch trail courses now because I'm a course designer. And at first they were a little bit miffed that I was doing it because they thought I was trying to make ranch trail city trail. And I said, I have no intention to make a ranch trail city trail because I want you guys to have your little home and do your station to station and maybe lope over one pole, maybe trot over a few logs and stuff like that and back and side pass a little bit like you would in a ranch. My goal is not to make your your class my class. I have enough room and I got enough popularity in my class. You need to have a home. So, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to do a, a, a deal with Chris Jeter the other day and we did a talk on ranch trail and there, there's a contrast of, of, but guess what? I was from a ranch, okay? I did the cows. I did the cow horse stuff. I get what you guys have to do. But like Chris would say, a lot of people don't know that. They don't know that you, they just think you're a city boy who only knows the city trail. But I really came from the country first and learned how to do the city trail. But I think I think the combination, like more loping, more lope, trot lope, more transitioning, I think that the quicker type of course, okay? Um, history of trail goes like this. When it was station to station back in the day, and trail was old school last last class of the day, my judges would fall asleep. They were pretty tired, okay? They would sit on that hot tree. And when that side pass back was sitting there forever and, and their eyes stayed there for about a minute, gave them a chance to doze off. Not that they fell asleep all the time, but it's very boring. You know, when it's hot, you're tired, and you're trying to concentrate on trail like that. And it's a long side pass, a long back, and you... The, the trick to trail is not to put someone in one position too long of a period of time. When their eyes are moving and they, they have to wander a little bit they, and they can throw a score out, they're more intrigued to stay awake longer. Not so much stay awake, but stay focused. I hate to say that they all fall asleep because they don't. I don't know. I'm just saying that I think th that's what brought my trail up, up front a little bit. Like I'm sure it's the, the lope-trot lope transitions and more trotting and loping over the poles, something faster. You know, all of a sudden the good movers are showing up. Before it was a class for bad moving horses or horses that didn't have any jobs. They would come do the trail because it's the end of the day and everyone else would go home. But um, now, you know, it's very specialized for sure. I was going to say that the, the thing that I really love about your patterns is that you take a you, you put a lot of thought into the rider, the horse, the judge, the spectator, you know, everybody on how a course is going to flow and why you create the course the way that you do. Right. Um, I think, you know, I, was, I guess I use this as an example is it reminds me of, of, of writing a song, okay? Whether you're drawing a picture or writing a song, it, I mean, I, I really feel like like trail has, has a tempo. It has, it has a flow to it. It has a, a verse to it. It has a chorus. It has a conclusion. I mean, um, you know, I'm an 80s type of guy that loves, you know, Eagles, Beach Boys, Beatles, maybe it's 70s, 80s, whatever. But, you know, the guys that wrote lots of, lots of music, and you can tell the Eagles, you can tell Fleetwood Mac, you can tell the Beatles, you, you can tell the Beach Boys. You, there's a tone, there's a there's something in there that you know when it's my course. You do, you have to, because it, it sings to you a little bit. And and I mean, I, I as a songwriter, as a trade of course designer, you, you just something motivates you and you get involved and you just love it. I mean, like my world show this year in 21, I loved it. I loved all my patterns. I don't know how what inspired me this year, but Something happened, and, and I was nailing all my courses. Like every every course fit fit was going on. I, I was kind of excited because, you know, my friend um, Tucker Williams brought some new wood out there, so 
they had more more things that I can move around and had this plastic log and then I brought the real log in and and just we did the solid gate and I mean just a lot of different things but um, as a as a creator you, you get more toys to play with it's, it's kind of fun to move the colors around and, and do the, move the water boxes around just stuff like that you know I have to say that's so true about what you said how you can tell that it's a course that you designed as soon as you open that pattern book as an exhibitor you can tell and go okay this is a Tim Kimura pattern like no doubt about it and they're always just so exciting to ride I've always loved showing on a course that you've designed so what are some of those obstacles that you're using right now that do stand out so much from the others well you know you have to go back to decide what show it is I mean yeah at the world show there's things I like I like different types of side passing now just because I got to be creative how I use that side pass. Um, you know, I, I want to just tell you the truth. I've learned in the last month or two months that I get more bang out of my buck, uh, a, a series of trot overs than I do lope overs. Okay. Unfortunately, as, as specialized as we are, those horses can lope over some wood and jump. Okay. And they have no, no problem. Like I can't hit, make them hit it very well. Right. Something about the trot, the distance, the sustaining that trot for that long a period of time. If I put a series of five or six trot, more than three or four, I've got a, I've got a 50-50 chance I get I get a hit out of it. It's weird. And then when I bend them a little bit, I get a little bit more action out of it. So, you know, a little bit more quantity on trot overs for a longer duration of time. I'm finding I'm getting some bang out of my buck out of it. Um, the side passing, you know, I think last year is a year we had a committee that we tried to, like, improve our footwork on our horses. Like, you know, before we were just kind of going in the box, turning, backing was big. And they didn't have to be so creative footwork-wise, but it took a little bit more time. So then I was I was forced to, you know, in, make some intriguing side passing that just at least you had to move your body a little bit left or right and stuff like that. I thought that was the goal of what we were trying to do. And, and I think the goal was... So when they got to the world show and I put the side pass in in the finals, it wasn't such a surprise to them. They thought I was trying to trick them a little bit because I would save the side pass till I only had 15 or 20 horses in a class and then throw the side pass at them. And it was, it was kind of like kind of messed with them a little bit. So for a whole year, I was trying to incorporate the side pass more. Again, it's hard when we're doing that warm up because it takes a little while to side pass and everyone wants to get on top of the wood. And sometimes it's not so good in the warm up pen where I have to build two of them. So I'd imagine that as trail has evolved um, and the horses, I mean, they're just getting better and better every year. And, and you keep throwing out crazy obstacles with them, which I was looking at the pattern this year and I'm like, God, I can't imagine trying to get over that. I could barely get around the ones that you made, <laughs> what, 15 years ago. Right. <laughs> um, and now seeing the this, this stuff that people are doing and, and maneuvering their horses through is just insane. And that, you know, the talent that goes into it. How have you kind of evolved your style to kind of keep challenging these horses as the, you know, as it gets, you know, better and better and these horses get just more talented? You know, at, at first I thought, and I said to my fellow course designers that you had to ride these courses to really feel how to do it. You know, like if you rode over it a little bit, you'd get how much room they really needed. But I'm fortunate enough to clinic a lot, okay? And I do stuff at the clinics a little bit to kind of experiment with what's going on, or I see what's doable and what's not doable. And, and I think I'm very fortunate because I clinic quite a bit that I'm allowed to, you know, at clinic, I'll drop a course down, I'll watch them ride it, I'll teach them how to do it better. 
But in the back of my head, I go, oh, yeah, I got to fix that. I could twist that around and I could use that next week at this horse show or something like that. And and that's that's how I do it. I mean, I hardly ever ride over the trail, wood, you know, but I watch a lot and I watch pretty close and I'm pretty good at eyeballing what's going on or ask, how's that ride? You know, I'm at the finals this year at the World Show and Senior, you know, I, I might have had this log in a weird place that wasn't really lined up with the gate very well. And and they said, well, hey, this isn't lined up very good. Like when we side pass over that gate, we're going to be have to walk forward a little bit. I had no problem moving it a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I'm game to let those guys try to show the best they can. You know, I, I mean, height-wise, I'm pretty stiff on that. I actually lowered the bridge pole a little bit at the very end because I, I was feeling a little guilty, you know. Um, I, I want them to show those horses got so good that I've got to make it so we can break them apart a little bit. I mean, not to trap them, but to challenge them, you know. Whenever I design a course, and I've said this since I first started drawing courses, I said, as a course designer, my job is to challenge the top third of the class, educate the middle third of the class, and make it safe for the bottom third of the class. And when it and when it layers out like that, and you got three thirds out there, one third, one third, one third, it's easy for the judges. It's easy to figure out who's the winner, and the losers know what to practice, and everyone lives happily ever after. Okay, but that's I mean, if it's too easy, it goes one way. If it's too hard, it goes one way. But if you can get that magical third, 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 you know that's that's what you're looking for. You know, um, I think it was Jason this this year asked me, you know, he said, maybe in this is the first year we split the level two in the senior. OK, we had level two on a different day and we had level three on, on Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday. And maybe I have to make that level three course harder than prelims. You know, maybe I mean, 240, which is a huge number, was making was making the finals. OK, in this shootout, you had to have 32, 39 and a half to make it in the top five of the shootout. So you're. You got to get 240, which is, you know, plus one on 12 obstacles or plus one on 10 of the 12 obstacles, which is quite challenging or plus one and a half, whatever. You had to have a pretty darn good, fortunate run, right? You know, so, I mean, and there was, you know, 232, I think, or something like that was to make the shootout, which means the top 35 horses had a 232, which is a huge number, a huge number. So, I mean, I, you know, the, maybe the question is, how do I make it harder and better? I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a, it's a mystery to me. All I know is this for sure. I always try to take them out of their comfort zone a little bit. Okay. Like when I, when I think that they, they're owning me a little bit, I'll put the white poles out there, like in the serpentine this week, where they don't have a stripe to see. Okay. I feel like there's a little advantage on me if, when I take that stripe away, because it's really easy to figure out if you do the math on the pole. So when things like they have to make choices, I want them to make a choice, you know, even even I'm finding out, too, that when I, get, when I went to Ocala, a huge arena, when I spread that course out a little fatter, they have a hard time lasting that long to the next pole, like station to station. They can't sustain what they're doing for that long a time or they're not used to seeing that pole from such a long distance. So when I had a smaller class at Ocala and like the first Ocala, and I spread that thing out. It was it was challenging for those guys. It was funny to watch because they wouldn't get lost. It was just a long waiting time to get to that pole. And that was, that was really interesting about that. So we're talking about these horses that are obviously so talented. And obviously a lot of that comes from the training and, and the rider. But what do you think goes into making a good trail horse? Well, definitely practice, you know. I don't know how much practice that is. Um, 
like any event, reining, horsemanship, trail, your horse has to be pretty broke. Okay. You know, it, you know, the, the thing that's going to help help and hurt both at the same time, the trail horses, is a three-year-old class. Okay? The three-year-old trail. One, most of these kids are getting these uh, A minus B pleasure horses. Okay? Let's say it's not going to be the winner in the, in the two-year-old pleasure class or the three-year-old pleasure class. And they're teaching to become three great three-year-old trail horses. Okay? So they've gone as a, pretty hard as a two-year-old because there's a lot of money up for a two-year-old pleasure horse. Okay? And now they're making a lot of money for the three-year-old pleasure horse. So, unfortunately, it's a little rough on those horses. But those broke ones are pretty broke, and it's pretty not easy to teach them. But they struggle at the trot. Again, that's me, knowing that their trot is not their strongest gait. Their lope is super strong, but their trot's not as strong as their lope. So the more times I twist them with that trot a little bit, the more advantage to me. And then in the three-year-old class or the green classes, I can't elevate the trots and lopes. So those good movers are just like, just barely skimming the, I mean, just getting all those poles, those great movers and stuff like that, you know? So it's really hard for me to zap them or make them hit something unless it's technical. Sometimes that side pass will give me some bang for my buck. Sometimes the back will, and so, sometimes those trots, you know? So um, the, the way that horse evolves, I mean, A, get them broke, B, you know, get the good footwork, C, you know, I would really like them to have a look, the eyes, the ears, their mouths, you know. Sometimes they get a little fussy in there after a while because they've been putting so much pressure on them a little bit, you know. Uh, I, 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 Sometimes there's horses out there, wow, look at those ears, look at those eyes, man. They're, that thing's sparky, that one's hunting the wood a little bit. You're, like, loving that, you know, that, that horse looks fresh, you know. And sometimes it's a pin-eared one, right, and not liking its job very much, and and I get a little miffed a little bit like that. Oh, this one doesn't like his job. It's been out, been practicing a little bit too much. So it, it's a fine line, you know, but, but there's a lot of, lot of room. There's a lot of classes nowadays for all these horses. It's just as fast as you have the three-year-old class, you have the non-pro three-year-old class, and it just keeps growing and growing. Let me, let me just make one remark here. You know, like when we did our history, um, the reason why trails spiked, okay, it, it spiked a lot. Okay, let's say 1990. Okay, that I think if if, if our stats are right, was in 1990 you were allowed to ride more than one horse. That was the year you, court horse got to ride two. In in 208 you were allowed to ride three. Okay, so not just my classy volume, but the twist of the knob of riding more than one horse. One guy showing or lady showing three horses. Two, 2013 you become the leveling. Now you get twos and threes. You ride three to six. I mean, I mean. The classes evolved, but the opportunity for riding more horses have evolved, which makes the explosion on my class, or I call it my class, but this event, okay? So because of those those years, you'll find a big increase in number of horses. And SBA, I'll add them too, because as they grow, as their horse show grows, more opportunity, more places to go, more slots, more classes, you know, just... There's just a big need. I mean, if you go on the market right now looking for a trail horse, it's hard to find. They're hard to find right now, you know, because everyone's keeping them, okay? Or not enough of them are, are making new ones. And it's hard. I mean, just it, it's a great it's a great industry, but yeah, it's a challenging industry, you know. And and I just need different types of horse shows too. You know, we we don't have a very many schooling shows anymore. 
it's too expensive for people to put one day, two day show on anymore. It just doesn't happen. So all those horses are actually being trained on the road. I think they go on the tour and they're getting, they don't have time to stay home because we're on the road to pay that trailer and all the other stuff. And, and you see a lot of people training their twos and threes at the horse show, not showing, but they have them there because they're going to do the warm up because we allow them to. So I know good and bad, good and bad. Um, let me, I'm gonna, I had this on my notes, so I was going to say, it was funny because, you know, for myself, my job, it's, it's never ending, you know, just as fast as I'm doing this interview today, you know, like, I think in 2020, I, I think I got a ball, I, I, there's one, one show I wasn't sure of, but like the top 10 shows in, in AQHA, I think I did them all, you know, it was um, the Big A, Stars and Stripes, Arizona Fall Championship, Pinnacle Circuit, Arizona Sun Country, Red Bud. Florida Gold Coast, Gulf Coast, uh, Madness, and the uh, Summer Sensation. I think those are the 10, like the top 10. I think I did them all, I think I did them all that one year, right? So, I mean, I'm across the, I mean, good and bad. I mean, I, I, you can have too much of me too, right? But I do all those. Um, breed shows, paint world, Appy world. I've, I've done the paint world before. I've done the Appy world. I don't do them now. I do Palomino. I do Arabian Nationals. I do the Buckskin World. I do the POAs. I've done the POAs. I did Color Breed Council this year. I did Pindle World this year. I did European Championship, German Open, Canadian Championship, Netherlands, and Swiss Championships, right? So, I mean, if you want to go across the board, it never stops. So, when you're doing all these different breed shows and going across from the Arabians to the the POAs yes. to the Pintos, yes. are you kind of adjusting the courses to yeah, fit know. those horses? Like, does it vary? So... Let me, let me get, we'll go to this chapter here and, and then, you know, the question you should ask me or not should ask me, but the question is how, how do I design courses, right? So like what, what goes into that, right? Okay, so I made my little list. Okay, one, uh, location, like what part of the world or what, do, what breed you're doing, okay? The level of competition, how good they are and how, how strong they are. Um, what's the schedule? What's the order of the classes? Makes a huge difference. Um, how much time's available, you know? Some of my friends out there that want me to work from, they want that course to be under three minutes and they, we've got 100, 200, 400 rounds to do in a day. Whether we do one, you know, are we doing one course or two courses? I mean, that's just how my, my question is. Who's supplying the polls? Do you have them? Do I bring them in? Does Tucker bring them in? Does Robert bring them in? Does Don bring them in? Or do you own your own? Um, uh, who's setting the course? A lot of times I'll, I'll draw and Don will set them. Gary McAllister will set them um other people carson will set them you know uh do you have a trail warm-up uh, where the judges sit uh, when do you need your patterns um how do you uh how to break your courses up like how to is it senior amateur select youth and then green junior le level one amateur level one youth and walk trot um that's in the equation you have ewds in there that's part of the equation right so that i mean just starts before I even touch the course, like what to do, I got to know those answers so I can at least have an idea what to draw. You know, I mean, those are, those are the things that are involved, you know, before I even know which, how much course am I going to do? Like, what's the layout? Where's the gates at? Where are the judges going to sit? Um, where, you know, do they sit on the right side or left side? Performance arena in Barton Six versus the Coliseum, you know, John, Jim Newark. It's, they're on both different sides, one on the right, one on the left. Makes a huge difference. If you got two patterns running, makes a huge difference of how to draw it. So it's not just like whatever, whatever, da da da. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of thought process you got to do, or else when it comes time to do it, it's, you're going to have a hot mess a little bit. So, that's so 
at the Pinto World, they have English Trail as well. <laughs> Do, are you involved with that? And what? Yes. Oh my God, OMG, OMG. <laughs> yeah. Um, challenging because the Arabs do the same thing okay so the Arabian and and the Pintos both do the English trail yeah um trying to find something that meets in the middle you know because definitely you got to change the distances for the English trail from the western trail you got to open it up a little bit more I guarantee you in that English trail even though they have two hands their steering isn't the best it it has to be more feel that course has to feel like a like a equitation pattern, like a hunt, like a echo or fences pattern, or or something a little bit bigger, huntery, like not so city trail like. So definitely, you got to like get that, okay? Or else, like the first year I did the Arabian Trail, I kind of messed up a little bit because I I made the English Trail a little too tight for me. They weren't good like that. But I, I tried to open up when I got there. But when I first did, I thought, oh yeah, they can do that. They no, they can't do that. They they need a little something a little simpler and and let them use their two hands and they weren't built to do city trail they're built to do a little country city trail something like that but then and then the net my nemesis okay because you haven't got there yet and then nemesis is the in hand trail in hand is the nemesis of the nemesis okay and for you guys that do in hand trail this is how it goes this is my i would love to set the right course and right distance for y'all if you were by yourself Okay, I tried to teach that in Europe. I said, just put your in-hand classes on one day. Then I can set courses not so big and they don't have to run their butts off to get from pole to pole. But when you put a big course, a, a, a riding course, along with the in-hand trail course, I'm gonna make that lady run. Because there's 30 feet between some of those poles and she's gonna be pretty winded or she's gonna need a little oxygen bar or something before she gets that last obstacle because she's going to run out of gas because that's how they roll but they want to do their class and i get that i so i mean i don't mind teaching i don't mind doing it. i just would like to give them something that's not such a track meet such a marathon but i guarantee if you put it inside those other classes i'm gonna make you run a little bit so you're so you're saying that if you're gonna do those prepare for a marathon <laughs> You need to be a little bit physically in shape, okay? Okay, like you you ought to be able to trot around for a long duration. Just like if you're practicing showmanship. Those girls run a little bit. When, like Lena Vollmer and Tina Vollmer, they run in their arena with their arms up and they practice running a little bit. Maybe in their tan shoes, not their boots. But if you don't run a little bit with your arms up and you're not used to staying up there that long, you're going to get winded pretty fast. And then guess what? When you, oh. quit, when you quit going, that little horse is going to quit going too. So... Just FYI. Oh yeah, FYI. I uh, I hadn't run in dirt in 12, 11 years, and yeah. I was helping a girl at the barn that I'm at now, and she was like, "Can you show me something?" And I'm sure. And I go to run, and I was like, "I don't do this anymore." Right. I can't run. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> a weird. Tired. You know, like 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 I was taught, you know, with the cups, right, holding the cups of water up right there and running with your. That's a pain in the butt. It's fun to watch someone else have to do it, but you know, but but you know, like like I watched Curtis Reynolds coaching one time, and and those showmen. I mean, I've watched Tina and Lena run all the time. Jane Fred, you know, if to showmanship just like trail, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of grit, and if you're gritty enough to like practice and set up that many times and come out two or three times and do it again, you're gonna get it. 
But if you just think you're just going to do it like for a half hour and 15 minutes and that's enough, never going to get there. You're barely going to get there. I mean, the gritty girls do it. I don't know how they do it, but they 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 get down and like they run. And especially the selects, the selects, it's it's you have to be stronger than the other selects. You're get, all getting older, but like those those 50 year old selects, they're pretty fit still. So if you're an old, you know, 55, 60 year old select, you better get your butt in shape. You better do a little treadmilling. I mean, same thing with trail. Trail trail is an endurance run too, concentration wise. You know, I was watching the select trail this year and stuff like that, and I'm like. I was telling some of my friends, you know, it's tough to go twice when they had a shootout, okay? And to, to, to do that one time all day and adrenaline yourself as an older rider, man or woman, and then to do the shootout again, that's a lot of adrenaline for that that folk to to try to put two rounds on in one day. It's it's harder than it looks. And a lot of them looked a little just miffed or weak, weaker when they rode that second time. I could imagine. I mean, that's a lot of, it, it is, you know, as much as you're sitting there really quiet on a drape rain, there's a lot that you're doing with your body and, yeah. and mentally too, like yeah. just having the the ability to mentally get through two really tough patterns and, and know your spots and know your timing and know your horse and feel everything. And, you know, I, I try to color coordinate things, you know, I try to put the right color poles. So, you know, purple and yellow are my colors. And so like, if I start with purple, you probably head for a yellow. It's probably if you hit, start with the yellow, you probably head for the purple. They're probably pretty close together, you know. And I like to match the colors up and and have like little themes and stuff like that. So I mean, I'm I'm all about that. That's something that is super helpful for me because it's like it's almost like you have to keep your brain in shape for horse showing, especially trail. I showed throughout college um, pretty heavily, and then I took a break. When I got my master's and over the summer, I just decided to show at the Pinto World because the horse that I own was leasing, leased out and was going to be there. And I was doing one of your patterns and I was almost done and I got to the end and I totally forgot the, where I was yeah. supposed to go. Like, and it was, yeah. I came out and I was like, I haven't shown trail in a year. And my brain was just not like used it's, to focusing on that. So it's that's a stamina. Of, it's a stamina of staying that long. Okay. So here it goes. You know, like most of your horsemanship, showmanship, equitation patterns or 90 seconds long, 90 to 120 seconds long. You're, you're going to be in there for three minutes on my deal. So a lot of pattern people are really strong for two minutes. The last minute is is my minute, you know, <laughs> right? I know you're used to going out there for two minutes. Can you stay out there for three, you know? And, and so sometimes the technical stuff's a little bit toward the end of the pattern, toward the end of the song a little bit. And can you last, you know? And, and, and you know, I, when I coach, when I clinic, and I tell her when I said, if possible, you need to put a pattern out in your arena if you can, whatever wood you have, every little piece of wood you have, and build yourself a course because you only practice the course when you're at the horse show. And if you don't practice at home a full course, you will not be able to have the stamina to last through all those lope trot lopes and then breathe for that last slow back or that side pass or that back or that box. And that's why I tell my friends, I said, I know it's a pain in the butt to go put those poles out there, but if you don't put a pattern out for these these amateurs and selects they're only going to stay the same because they're going to they're be good for about half the course or three quarters of the course and then they're going to bomb somewhere because they're not used to being out there for three minutes i said i know like once every two weeks once every three weeks if you need to sh get some poles for one day you know but i mean i talk about that a lot in the clinics i feel like that's something that is also important for the horses with having to be on a pattern for that long and being used to that because it's asking a lot of those horses to, to do that much in that 
short amount of time. So I think what's something else that you would suggest for people to practice at home to prepare themselves oh, for the show? I have to add on to this because how do I say it? Um, what they do is when they set this course up, okay, they practice to be perfect. So if something goes wrong, they school, okay? They do something, if it's not right, they school and come back and do it over again. I said, you need to learn to do all 10 obstacles or, or 10 maneuvers without stopping. You gotta learn to have the highs and lows, deal with a tick, deal with a bad move and still keep going. Because you have a crutch of stopping every time it's wrong because you're allowed to do that at home. And then when you get in the show pin and you can't stop, you freak out mentally because it's not perfect. You you know, my girlfriend, Tina Bomer, I'll give you props because in showmanship, when she makes a mistake, she can hide that sucker and just keep going like she's fine. In trail, it's the same way. If you're wrong, you've got to hide it like you're okay. If you get a chip or a big spot, you got to hide like, okay, I got this. I, You should pay me for catching up to it and getting back under control again. But I mean, that's like, they practice a, an obstacle touch. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And then when you get that one, they go on. I said, that's not how you're going to get a show it. You better learn about getting off that line from a stop to a walk or trot or lope to that first obstacle. That's like in the world shows, I think a few of my courses, you had to lope off first. And I know I owned them. I owned everyone because they don't practice that move. They always start with a cheap trot or a cheap walk at the gate. It's a pain in the butt to lope off from it. And then I, I put them in a little cage where you have to start from where I want you to start, not where you want to start from. Because they don't practice that. And I want to inspire them to practice loping off, right? So, I mean, that's something, I mean, transitions is the money. High to low, shifting gears, trot to lope, lope to trot, walk to lope. I call that the ABCs of the obstacle. If you don't have a good transition, you're going to get in predicament sooner or later when you get to that pole or that spoke or something. How you get off the line, how you approach that first pole, you know, that's, that's, what people don't practice, they just, oh, yeah, we're doing trot, circle back, trot, circle back. Okay, we're going to run from a bigger distance. And then when it's wrong, especially loping, change the distance to the pole. They just do the same spot every time. They think we're going to fix that. I go, why don't you just change some distance, go bigger or smaller? And I bet you the, the distance to the pole works. And people don't get that part of it. But, you know, I use that for my horsemanship, my showmanship, right? You know, same same type of game, Okay. How your presentation from that cone and showmanship, Jenny Fred, because I love Jenny Fred to death, you know, how your presentation is off that cone dictates how, how your pattern starting. That's the first thing I see. How you start off the line to that first pole is what I see first. And if you're struggling just getting out from the stop to a walk, or if you can't get them stop to lope, I own you, okay? Because you can't get out. You're just stuck there. You're going to your feet and you can't get out. So, I mean, transition, even lope to trot, trot to lope. Do you own that gear? Do you own that shift? Or do you not own it? If you don't own it, something's going to happen. Like they have a little trouble lope to trot because you're going from a, a three-beat gate to a two-beat gate. They don't change their, their body composure. So the horse thinks lope. They would never, you know, you're hoping, praying, you're saying trot. Oh, my God, you're not trying. Oh, my God, better pull. Oh, my God, it's coming, right? But if you would ch like make your body go into a two-beat mode, that horse would follow you down. But they're more panicking about distance and poles coming up instead of changing their shifting ability and that transition, that's that's the money part of showing is is when you own those transitions, it'll be easy to get to the pole. So let's fast forward to 2020. Okay. Well, I suppose okay. we've been jumping back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go ahead. During the heart of quarantine, I believe is when you guys started keeping it real, yeah. Right? 
Yep, for sure. Yeah, so this is an online show that you and Brad Jewett are doing on Facebook, correct? Yep, yep, yep. Facebook do you, Live. Do you want to do you want to talk a little oh, bit yeah. how that kind of came to be? Well, we 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 came back from uh, Scottsdale. Okay, we came back from Arizona Sun Circuit, and that's when COVID hit us. I had four trips planned to go into Europe. They all got canceled. Right, I had four plane tickets hanging around. Um, uh, so, well, we had these we had these videos, Judy Coin videos, right? And so we had all these videos, and we were going to just like how to promote them. So night one of keeping it real, we call it Chalk Talk. And we just got on. We did this Facebook Live. We had Kona, our producer, who was living with Brad at the time. And we just kind of went for it, okay? And then after the night one, Brad said, well, we want to interview someone. And I think uh, Christy McCann and her husband were our first guests. And then from there on, instead of like doing shows about us, we kept doing shows about people. And then we'd have types of topic Thursday. And, and one day of the week, we would just like kind of chit-chat about trail, horsemanship, whatever we felt like. And then it just it just blew up. And then, but it's fun. I mean, talking to people, learning the history, just like my history, just things you, you get to know about people you don't know. You know, wh what'd you do in school? Where'd you come from? Did you ever do a job? You know, I was I was a farmer, peaches, plums, nectarines, grapes. I had a trucking that I used to load trucks. I mean, I did real estate for a year and stuff like that. I mean, stuff you would never believe that I did, right? I have to say, I still remember 2003, Tampa, Florida. I did a clinic with you, and I still think about buckets and putting your right. horse's foot in the buckets. You know, we, we we talk about that a lot. You know, we we draw a line in the middle of the gap, and and we, it, we at first it was a ladder line. I I draw lines. I said just put your foot on aim where you look is where you land. Aim for those lines, and and that's where your horse would put his feet. Okay, so then we we called it the bucket theory, where where I actually wanted to put your horse's feet in the buckets, and and I built this one time with Laker Monkey and. And we did a picture of, a, of, of someone trying to walk their horse through the buckets. And, and if you have a visual of that, of that bucket in that gap, and you're trying to aim for that gap, you'll go there. You know, where you look is where you're landing. You, you think you just look up and go straight, and you're going to hope and pray your horse puts its foot in the gap. That's one way. But um, I'm a guy who wants a little control. Like, look there. He's going to put his foot there. One gap at a time. Where you look is where you look. Look in front of the pole. Don't look at the pole, you know? Those are my tips like that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, Keeping yeah. It Real is coming back, like yes. you said. Yes, uh, sure. And you guys have the old episodes on Facebook. So if anybody yes. hasn't had a chance to check yep. it out, go check it out. Yep. I know. We're I making an app. The... Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, we're making this app so you can go back and look at the old ones too, for sure. And then we have Judy Quan that's going to be on the app too that you can like look at the videos and you know, it's a bit of a subscription thing, and and you uh, so keeping it real show Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So people can find keeping it real on social yep. media or the app, hopefully soon. Yep. Um, it sounds like you have more stories, so maybe we'll uh, fit in a part two sometime. Okay. Soon. There you go. There you go. We'll try the part. <laughs> so maybe, maybe to be continued. Okay. I, I would like that. I would like to talk with you girls again. It'd be fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. tuning into the ride podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts follow horse and rider magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com if you guys have any questions or comments 
please be sure to hit us up at horse and rider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again to Weaver Leather for sponsoring this episode of The Ride.